Welcome to Shaping Vaping. Uh, this is our weekly conversation about the latest in vaping policy. I'm Char Owen, your guest host, while Amanda Wheeler's on assignment. Um, so it's now comedy hour. We're trying something a little different this week. I'm joined by an all-star panel of guests, and we're going to pick apart last week's news and give you our perspectives. Um, our first guest doesn't need much of an introduction. This is her third time on Shaping Vaping. Helen Redmond is a journalist for Filter Magazine, and she covers a host of topics, including vaping. Thanks for coming back, Helen. You're welcome. This is really my third time. It really is. <laughs> so you definitely are a frequent flyer now. I think you get a t-shirt. Okay. <laughs> and our third panel member is Matt Cully of Consumer Advocates for Smoke-Free Alternatives Association. Thanks for coming back, Matt. Thanks for having me. Okay, so if you have any questions along the way, you can raise your hand in the space, and we'll do our best to give you a chance to ask our guests your questions. Okay, so now on to our first topic, and it will probably be the hot topic of the day, the de facto ban on synthetic nicotine. Who would like to tackle that one first? Helen? What's your viewpoint? I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it to Matt. <laughs> sure, I'll 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 go for it. Um, my viewpoint is is I mean I think it, this wasn't super surprising, although the speed of it was somewhat surprising. I mean I, I think I think a lot of people figured that maybe uh, you know that they'd have a year or two with synthetic nick before something like this happened, um, but. Uh, Obviously, it was just it was kind of like with the online bill. It was put into a larger spending bill, and it was a, a lot easier to get through because of that. Um, what what I'm really interested in, in seeing is, you know, kind of I guess the game theory play out here. So, you know, I I don't have an e-liquid company. I'm not filing any PMTAs, but I I would assume that what we'll see is that you know some of these synthetic companies that are using synthetic nicotine may very well um, uh, uh, submit new PMTAs, PMTAs for those products. And then if they're denied the same way FDA denied a lot of the, the products we saw uh, last year, um, we might see them follow the same, you know, uh, template for lawsuits that, you know, Triton and some of the others have done. So I think that uh, you know, there's some, we could see some interesting stories out of that. I've also seen some rumblings about, you know, potentially suing the, uh, the, uh, uh, <clears throat> suing the, about the amendment itself. I don't know if that, that suit would go to FDA or, or what, or how that would work. But I mean, I, I don't think it's the end of the road per se. I think, you know, especially with enforcement lacking across the board, there's still plenty of uh, company, you know, retailers that are, that are selling uh, conventional nicotine products that don't have a PMTA approval or were, were denied a PMTA approval. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, you know, I always, I've said this for years, interesting times. This year should be interesting. I'm especially honed in on what's going to happen with on the legal side of it. Well, I am definitely in agreement. I do believe you will see a large number of companies apply again or file again. Um, and I also do believe that when they if we receive the same set of MDOs like what we got the last time 
Um, I do believe there is a larger stance for that lawsuit. Um, you know, someone could correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, the things that they're requiring, again, it, it's it's not possible within the 60 days. In fact, it's even less possible yeah. to do as much as we did in the last set. So yeah, and I mean, isn't the FDA supposed to like answer those PM respond to those PMTAs ninety days after they're submitted as well? And like we we all know that's not going to happen. So then, is FDA going to order all those products off the market while the, the PMTAs <clears throat> well, are pending, or will they say that they're going to exercise enforcement discretion? I don't know. Well, they they, they had the ninety days to to accept them. Um, oh, not really okay. to, I guess to I missed, answer them. I, 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 I must have misread then. I thought it was. A... Now, I think the 90 days. Um, now, if you look at the bill, I think in the bill, it actually has 90 days to to make the decision. But in the FDA regulations, they have 90 days to accept them. Gotcha. So I'm not sure if that was a miscommunication between the. Uh, you know, the bill authors, if they absolutely have no idea how that FDA process works. Which is likely. Or very, <laughs> very highly likely. They I mean, they're absolutely clueless. And we had so many of them that didn't even get into the acceptance phase. Uh, I think it was four months. It took four months. So what we're really hoping for is that we have some enforcement discretion because, um, one, there is <clears throat> zero availability to get lab time. There's zero availability to get um, any of your literature reviews done. Um, and, and these products don't relate to the other products because synthetic doesn't even have the same cast number. So so it is a new product. Yeah, it seems like, uh, and I'm not a lawyer, so not legal advice, um, obviously. Yeah. But, uh, th you know, there was, wasn't there a cutoff? Uh, as far as how much time somebody, somebody had to sue after that first batch of MDOs. Like, didn't they only have 30 days or something? To... Yes. So it seems like those folks that um, didn't have time could maybe, you know, because I don't think you could submit a P PMTA for the exact same flavor just with it having synthetic nick. But if they have... You cannot. But if they have new flavors um, with synthetic uh, nick, then that's, you know, they could put... Uh, submit PMTAs for those. And then this could be their chance to sue. You know, I think a lot of companies didn't know even, you know, that suing was even really a, a an option, I think. And, and that 30 days passed up. So now that there's, a, well, when you're, you're talking about, you know, 85% of these <clears throat> manufacturers are also small manufacturers yeah, too. Yeah. So suing wasn't exactly an option for them. Yeah. Um, so I think we need to, in the industry, we need to look at maybe coming together and and, and doing a, a sharing thing and, and try to push something like that forward like we did on Maryland. But, you know, I'm not a lawyer either, so we'll have to see how that plays out. Yeah, I wanted to add something on, on this topic, and that is, we, as, as Matt said, we, we, we saw this coming. If oh, you're not sure. going to allow electronic cigarettes with uh, tobacco plant-derived nicotine to be uh, used, you're going to put them through this horrific years-long process, people are going to find a workaround, and, and they did, and we knew it, and it's synthetic nicotine. And it's interesting because we're living in a world now where more and more the drugs that we take are no longer derived from plants 
they're made in labs, in chemical labs, right? And we've seen this with opioids very dramatically, right? So now people are using fentanyl, which is made in labs, it's a chemical, instead of heroin, which, heroin, which is derived from the poppy plant. And so we're seeing that with nicotine. That's what prohibition does. It, is. It, it doesn't stop people from using a drug. The people who want to sell it and make money, they will find workarounds. So they can ban synthetic nicotine, but I have no doubt somebody's already working on another chemical that is very similar to nicotine, but maybe it's one molecule off. Um, we've seen this with synthetic, we've also seen it with synthetic ca cannabinoid products like K2 and Spice and the DEA bans it. And then they come out with another, another chemical composition. And I think oh, the same absolutely. thing is going to happen with nicotine. And it's really bad because we want the drugs that people use to be regulated in a, in a way that is equitable and fair it doesn't bankrupt people, and we want them to be quality, right? We're seeing this with the cannabis industry, right? We want these to be quality products tested for safety. And unfortunately, we're in a situation where we're moving away from that potentially with nicotine. So I just wanted to add that. Yeah, and, we, and we've seen over the years, even before the, this, you know, the, the kind of rise of synthetic nicotine, there has been, you know, uh, various companies that have looked at like alternatives, uh, some of them natural, uh, but they, those have also caused problems. For example, there was one, they were putting St. John's wort into it and, uh, and not mm. letting people know. So obviously those that were already on an SSRI or other, you know, drugs that, that alter serotonin, um, you know, could be in danger if they ingest a bunch of uh, St. John's worth, they could get, you know, serotonin syndrome or something. So there's all kinds of, you know, bad things that happen every time uh, people want to uh, want to, you know, every time there's a ban and somebody looks for, for something else to, uh, to replace it with. It's also worth pointing out that, you know, like, for example, this New York Times article that I think we're going to talk about here in a bit, they point out, that disposable makers are using synthetic. But from what I've seen as someone that reviews and tests a lot of these products, still the overwhelming majority of disposables are conventional nicotine. And and they're still being sold all over the country um, in smoke shops and stuff like that. And these companies are, are very nimble and fluid. So like they already have a new brand ready to ready to to put out one, you know, if the FDA cracks down or whoever else cracks down on their existing brand. So it's kind of this never ending, you know, cat and mouse game uh, or whack-a-mole, however you want to describe it, where, where these things are always going to pop up regardless of, you know, what, what, you know, banning synthetic Nick or not banning, but, you know, regulating synthetic Nick and, uh, and whatever else they try to do. They're just not, government's not fast enough to, to go after a lot of these players. Well, that's why when we first filed the PMTAs, um, 2020, you know, I forget even when now, um, my whole goal was to get the majority of the manufacturers that were out there under the FBA, FDA umbrella um, so that we regulate the entire industry. We were going for simplified packaging. We were going for, you know, non-flavor descriptive names we were going for a lot of things and and people were willing to make those commitments 
And when the FDA just did their rip the Band-Aid off automated ban, um, that really threw a kink into it. And, and I'm afraid it set us back years. And, you know, years of getting these people to, to think, okay, I can be uh, a regulated industry and, and we can all come together and, and do standard, you know, standard good practices. And, and that really set us back. It really did. So. I mean, oh, anytime, there's, yeah, there's any, no doubt. Yeah, anytime you go for a you know, prohibition over regulation, it's a disaster. It's called black market and it will spring up everywhere. Yeah. And I think government regulators still haven't accepted the fact that the, the, you know, they'll always point towards where they banned, you know, flavors and cigarettes and those just went away. But, you know, you, you were talking about three or four large manufacturers and large companies and the, uh, the, market for flavored cigarettes was never very large but then when you look at you know vaping where you know 90 plus percent probably use a non-tobacco flavor i mean it's just there's when the demand's high enough there's always going to be a black market no matter what and and i i talk with a a lot of canadians and and you know they have uh flavor bands in in a few of the provinces and I, i mean it's all exactly how you would expect the once that happened then smoking goes up and the black market gets uh gets large in that province so there's plenty of you know uh test cases that we can point towards yeah my own consumers i did a um a pretty extensive survey with my own consumers and over 89 percent of my consumers said that if they did not have their flavors they would either go to black market or do it yourself and then the rest of them, and, and it was interesting, the rest of them chose going back to smoking. No one chose going to a tobacco flavor. If they had to go to a tobacco flavor, they would absolutely just rather smoke a cigarette. Yeah. There's a few, you know, tobacco lovers like my friend Jim McDonald. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, that's listening. But uh, they're few and far between. You, usually they're, they're a little crazy, too. And they just, stay there. Just kidding, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> and they stay in that space. Well, you know, and, and unfortunately, in space and they stay in it. And unfortunately, you know, a good portion of the tobacco flavors aren't just tobacco either. I mean, they they have no. you know desserts or fruits in there, so it's not as if those flavors are safe. You well, know. some of the tobacco flavors are are incredibly harsh that you can put it. So so sometimes it it takes putting a little something to calm it down a bit. You know, you can't even really. Um, it's not. It's kind of like the coffee flavors. They're very sharp. So very rare, rarely do we have consumers in our shops that that want to vape just a straight tobacco. So, and a lot of times it helps them, it moves them from away from that, you know, because if you have a, you know, some kind of an addiction, doing something that's very similar to that addiction only leads you to, going back or backsliding on that. So it's incredibly helpful for them to, to step away, you know, completely. So, and find something that tastes good for them. And, and, and I think it's a shame that, that the government is, uh, is putting such a hurt on adult smokers. You know, I understand we have to protect our youth and, and we are as an industry moving in that direction. The, the numbers are dropping that youth are using vapes. Um, 
And I think it would be a tragedy if we threw away the adult smoker. Because eventually, let's be honest, the kids that are smoking now are end up going to be, you know, smokers when they're older and they're going to be adults. When do you say, um, we don't care about you anymore? So when's the magic number? 18. At 18, we don't, uh, we don't want to, we don't care about your life. We're going to, we're going to save the next guy. Yeah. Well, I mean, thankfully the teen smoking numbers are incredibly low right now which yeah, it's is wonderful. shocking which completely kills the the gateway theory obviously which is probably why you don't hear a lot of uh um you know if i worked at tobacco free kids or i was stanton glance or whoever you know one of one of those types i would be like you know propping those numbers up i, I think it was like 1.7 yeah. percent or something like that i mean it's if you spent your whole life's work on it you'd obviously want to say hey look our work made a difference but because they're so invested in the uh the gateway theory um stuff they they don't even want to acknowledge how how low youth smoking is right now well now they've got their blinders on their their blinders on they don't they don't you know smoking i'm i would be willing to you know i'd be willing to venture that um very few of them actually do fight smoking anymore. They say smoking, but they mean vaping. Yeah, I mean, the, obviously, the lower that number goes, it's like there's less. <laughs> they probably feel like it's even getting unnecessary to fight, like it's just dying on its own. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, sorry, I, I didn't mean to go off on a totally different subject. No, I didn't either. Um but I know, you know, I know that um, we are going to be seeing a huge shift and trend in the industry because of, of, you know, this omnibus bill. Um, and you're going to see a large black market spring up pretty quickly. Well, you, I mean, look at it this way. Like, the, you know, we were told to file... You know, we would get given, you know, we were, we had all of these meetings with the FDA. We were saying, yep, we will treat you right. We will give extra help to the small business. They had all, and you know, and then all of a sudden, swoop, in one week, uh, you know, you, everybody got dinged, no matter the size. And, yeah. uh, and so now, how likely are these little shops or in these little small manufacturers, medium manufacturers, and some large, to uh, reapply? Yeah, and I think on the synthetic nick issue, it's important to like kind of try to put yourself in the common, you know, the you know Joe Schmo who doesn't know a lot about vaping. This makes total sense to him. Like from the outside, you know, regulating synthetic nicotine the same way you're going to regulate tobacco-derived nicotine makes complete sense. You're just closing a loophole. But what they don't understand is how you know inept the the FDA has been at regulating these products. And and so it's just this one. I this bill. It, it just it seemed like it was inevitable that it was going to go through, just because for for the average person, it makes total sense. I don't see this as anything other than a flavor ban, honestly. I mean that I just call it. Well, I can see it. I don't see this as anything other than a flavor ban. Um, when we filed, the FDA made awful errors in, in fact most everybody's tobacco and menthols actually were denied or mdo'd 
because when they filed, the FDA somehow put our product names into our characterizing flavor columns. Huh. Yeah, so they they actually denied the majority of the tobacco and menthol products going through the PMTA with standard nicotine. What they said they were trying to do, you know. You still there, Shark? Helen, are you there? Yeah, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> she she must have been cut off. We lost our moderator. Uh oh. <clears throat> or maybe she accidentally pressed mute. I'm not sure. Uh -huh. You know, it's almost 3.30. Why, why don't I go ahead and talk about um, Christina Jewett's article? Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, okay. <clears throat> so this uh, hit piece in, in the New York Times, really, it stands in the, it's really interesting, it stands in the tradition of how journalists cover the drug war. And we've had many drug wars in this country. We've had wars on uh, cannabis, several with the crack cocaine wars in the 80s and 90s. And the mainstream corporate media plays a central role in whipping up drug panics. They're vitally important to that. And so the latest iteration of the war on drugs, I would argue, is is on nicotine, that we have a war against nicotine uh, in, in the United States and, and other countries as well. And again, the media plays a vital role. You can't have a war on nicotine without the mainstream corporate media playing a serious role in that, because what do they do, right? They miseducate the public. Uh, politicians, policymakers, the medical and scientific communities. They put out article after article. And now we're, for a while, actually, we've been in a, in a media landscape where there's social media, there is lots of podcasts, there's lots of documentaries. So all of these different medias are used uh, in, in the war on, on, on nicotine. And really, there's a template that I want to go over. There's like three or four things that are in the, the war on nicotine template that people should be aware of. You're probably aware of some of them. But I just wanted to go over them because the, the media has created this narrative. They've coalesced around a very specific narrative when it comes to nicotine and, and teenagers. So they always or almost always lead off a drug panic with the kids, right? The children, the teens, the media in the U.S. has this singular obsession um, with teenagers and their use of nicotine, almost to the total exclusion of everybody else, right? And we know the vast majority of people who use vaping devices and, and other nicotine delivery devices, they're adults. But the singular obsession is, is remarkable. And 
it is the way to lead off most drug panics because, of course, people are concerned about the health of young people. We want them to be healthy. And it invokes fear, anger, uh, and can lead some people to, to activism, right? So the children are central in any drug panic. And we don't have to look that far back to see how, how that's used. The second thing, and, and of course, um, Christina Jewett's article is about a, a teenager. The second is the second part of this narrative that you have to include, we see it over and over, is you have to feature a teen or young person um, in what we call routinization of caricature. And that's sort of a fancy way of saying you feature a person who uses a drug in a way that, and you, that they're heavily dependent on that drug. Um, they use that, in other words, they use that drug a lot. You don't show a person uh, who uses a drug in a different way. We know there's a continuum of drug use for every drug. Some people use casually, some people use moderately. Teens do too, but they never feature, for example, a teen who just vapes at a party on the weekend, a couple weeks go by, maybe she vapes again. They never feature a teenager like that because it doesn't fit the narrative. And the narrative is nicotine is dangerous. Um, you hear this phrase over and over, addicting a new generation. We heard that with crack cocaine. We heard that with cannabis. It's the same thing with nicotine. So you have to show a teenager who really is dependent and maybe a lot of their world revolves around that. And that is not the vast majority um, of teens. That is not the way that they actually use nicotine. But they can't show anything else because it doesn't fit um, the story. The New York Times, besides uh, Christina Jewett's piece, a couple years ago, they, uh, they had another article. Maybe people remember it. Um, did, uh, it. It was about a young man who called, he was using Jewel, and he called Jewel his 11th finger. And the entire story is about how he was really dependent on, on nicotine uh, to the point where um, it really affected his life in, in, a, in a negative way. And again, it's just classic. Uh, it, it's always a situation where it's difficult to quit vaping. Uh, they need all kinds of help. The reality is much more complicated and nuanced. We know some people taper down and that's it. We know some people just quit. But again, it has to service that narrative that nicotine is dangerous, it's almost addic almost instantly uh, addictive. Uh, the other thing related to that in these stories is they never normalize drug use. We know so many young people experiment with a range of substances, right? It's not just nicotine, it's alcohol, it's cannabis, um, ADHD, prescription medications. They never normalize that young people experiment with drugs. And that's just the reality uh, in the United States. So the, the third point is, you know, junk journalism really relies on junk science. And so in Christina Jewett's article, of course, she does invoke a couple of, of scientists and they always have to talk about the brain. You're probably never gonna see an article, um, at least for a while, about teens and nicotine use without the brain being mentioned. And so now they're on to how does synthetic nicotine affect teen brains? 
they've been having the discussion about um, tobacco, I mean, nicotine derived from tobacco plants. How does that affect the brain for a long time? So now they're on to how does synthetic nicotine. And so they're raising concerns, could have an in, a negative impact. They're not really sure. Uh, and then also they have to throw in in terms of the junk science uh, flavors, right? And so the article mentions banana ice cream, candy cane, and gummy bears. And allegedly these are kid friendly. So that also is in the, the nicotine template for mainstream journalists like Christina Jewett. I'll mention a couple more. Uh, Sheila Kaplan, who's no, no longer at the New York Times, but wrote, but wrote a series of articles, dozens of articles, and Jan Hoffman. Those, are the, those have been the lead people at, at the New York Times. And so they have to uh, misrepresent the evidence. It's propaganda, and it's really in service of this drug war on nicotine. They have to lie because I think Matt said it earlier, maybe Char did, the evidence doesn't support their claims. The numbers don't support their claims. So they have to lie about it. It's just, again, it's a central part of this junk journalism. The last thing I want to say is about the photography, because as a person who does photography and is a filmmaker, I'm really interested in how photography illustrates uh, drugs. And what do we see? in uh, Christina Jewett's article. This is, I think, is gonna become an iconic photo. And that is of a person in an intensive care unit who is intubated and has the mask on. There's a large, uh, um, what do you call it? Um, plastic tube that they're hooked up to. So in Christina Jewett's article, there's a picture of uh, Ms. Burgess, uh, this 19-year-old, and there's that. And right next to it is a, a photo of her lungs, and she vaped THC with uh, uh, vitamin E, unfortunately. And you see her lungs, and it's a scary photo, and then you see a photo of healthy lungs. So you put the three photos together. It is meant to scare you. It's meant to make you angry make you angry. And it's also, I believe, meant to move people to some kind of action, right? So you might, you might join PAVE, you might give them some money, truth initiative, tobacco-free kids. That's what these photographs are meant to do. And then just going back to another article in 2020, New York Times, this was by Catherine J. Wu, um, who is now at the, uh, at the Atlantic. There was an article... <laughs> This is this is good. You're going to love this. Vaping links to COVID risk are becoming clear. <laughs> no, they're not. Um, actually, the opposite. So they feature this man, again, who vaped THC, uh, tainted with probably vitamin E. And so, again, a picture of him intubated. And this one, his eyes are taped shut. It's super frightening, right? That's what it's meant to do, to scare you. See how dangerous these products are. This article totally conflates the THC tainted vapes with vaping nicotine. So you've got him in the center, intubated, eyes taped shut, and then there's photos on either side of him. And one of them is a selfie prior to going to the I ICU. He doesn't have a shirt on. 
He's really buff, looks great. He works out. And then on the other side is after he gets out of the ICU, he's lost 50 or 60 pounds. He's scrawny. And again, fear-inducing, kind of shocking. This is how they're using photography when it comes to the war on nicotine. So those are just some of the things that I wanted to to bring out in this article, and I'll just stop there. Yeah, I had a couple things uh, to mention about the article. I mean, the the most glaring thing to me is, you know, there's a line here that says at the end that says she struggled to enter nicotine addiction as, and is down to two cigarettes a day. So she's obviously quit vaping and is now trying to taper herself off of nicotine with cigarettes. But the 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 author doesn't push back or question her on that at all, and it also kind of te- uh, um, connects to when New York Times a few months ago did an article about how like smoking's cool again in New York with hipsters and stuff. But they're in, and a lot of them that they interviewed said, well, you know, it's the devil we know, you know, we don't know what's in vaping, and there's no pushback at all by the authors, which is surprising. And 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 one other thing to mention about New York Times is that. We've seen them flip flop a little bit over the years, and it's and I think it's unfortunately because vaping has become so politicized. So when Trump banned flavor, or not banned, but when he announced he was going to ban flavors back in uh, 2019, the editorial board at New York Times wrote a pretty pro vaping article talking about prohibition, you know, the possible dangers of it, so on and so forth, and it was like the most, you know. Maybe there have been other articles, but it was one of the more pro-vaping articles I've ever seen from from New York Times. But in my opinion, it was only because Trump was taking the opposite stance at the time. So, you know, unfortunately, it's become kind of this political, you know, volleyball where where they're going to jump on whichever side, you know, kind of fits fits their uh, their their narrative. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting the mainstream media, they, they sprinkle in a few good articles, right? The New York Times had a piece on a vaping shop owner and what was going to happen to his shop with banning flavors. They had a piece on a woman who used Juul to quit smoking. Nothing else helped her. Patches, gums, forget about it, right? But they're few and far between, and they're completely overwhelmed by the tsunami of anti-nicotine, anti-vaping articles. They're just, they're a blip on, on, on the radar. They're not really read. They don't get the clickbait. I mean, that's the other thing, right? These articles that are part of the drug panic, they get clicks. People want to read those kinds of articles, unfortunately. And the headline, I mean, I think the headlines, often people don't even get past the headline. So that's where um, words, so the, the title is The Loophole That's Fueling a Return to Teenage Vaping. Words like fueling, flooding, right? I went back and looked at articles that were talking about crack cocaine. They use those words over and over and again, fueling and flooding. There's a whole bunch of other words like epidemic, right? You always see that word epidemic when it comes to teen vaping. There isn't an epidemic. If if an epidemic means widespread prevalent use of a particular drug, well, that's never been the case with vaping nicotine in teenagers. The numbers never supported that. 
Um, so the language is really important. The words that they use are drug war, tried and true words that drug warriors use to just increase fear and panic. So then they can pass bans, prohibition. Well, now they have the momentum. Now they have soccer moms at that point. Correct. Well, and I looked at the article myself, and honestly, they never said, uh, you know, they never gave any data as far as, you know, in in 2020, we were, we had this many, and in 2021, this many, and look, you know, there's no data to support that clickbait title. Exactly. Absolutely none. But yet, if I ask my, com, you know, probably if I go to a family reunion and I ask anybody and they've seen that, Oh no, synthetics fueling the return to teenage vaping. That's fueling. what they're gonna, Yeah, fueling. Fueling it's, it. Fueling the fire, right? Fuel. You think of that fueling a fire. Exactly. So there was no no data behind that and, and you know, it, the FDA had a chance to take disposables and all that off the market and they left disposables on on purpose. So, you know, who's playing who? Mhm. The other thing, the other effect that the war on nicotine has that is there's many negative effects, right? Uh, the and and things that I feel as a journalist, they're never held accountable for. We know that the wars on cannabis and crack, crack in particular, led to mass incarceration. It led to the decimation of black and brown communities. People were put in cages for, for, for decades. And so with nicotine, the negative effects are different because nicotine is still legal, right? Uh, I think that the negative effects that are going to be felt, that, the, that journalists are part and parcel um, to blame for, they are culpable for it because of their journalism, is we know, right? People are not going to, smokers are not going to have access to the products that they need, these life-saving products. They can't get the, they've shut down so many avenues to getting the products. Vape shops close. You can't get them online. You can't get them delivered. This is what journalists and at the New York Times and the Washington Post and the rest of the corporate media that's on board for the war on nicotine, that is going to be the result and people will continue to die and they won't be held accountable for it. And that as a journalist really infuriates me. That's one thing. The other thing that this whole frenzy around this so-called teen epidemic of, of vaping and all of the media attention, again, the kind of frenzied coverage is it creates this dynamic, and we saw this again during the, the crack scare, where politicians cannot, uh, it's very difficult to stand up against that juggernaut, uh, against all of the media that's coming out and saying, we have to ban, nicotine uh, is instantly addictive. Like Politicians need cover to stand up and do the right thing to take a stand against these bans. And unfortunately, we're still in a situation where the majority of the mainstream media is engaged in this drug panic and there's printing story after story, um, documentaries, all of the social media, and they're not providing any cover 
for politicians to stand up. So imagine if the mainstream media was running as many stories that um, were running lots of stories that or investigative reporting that showed actually nicotine has all these health benefits. Imagine if they were profiling lots of vape shop owners, lots of adults who had switched. And, and if that was the majority of their coverage, that would give politicians uh, the, the, the spine to stand up because they, they could say, look, uh, did you see that investigative series at the Wall Street Journal that show that nicotine does all these great things? Did you see all these smokers who now they, they're not coughing all the time and they can walk upstairs and they're hanging out with their kids? That would give politicians cover. But we don't have that situation yet. And it's sort of like who can be tougher, right? The tough on crime. I'm going to one up you and I'm going to pass a flavor ban and I'm going to ban this. And we're going to go after the bad guys. And so that, I think, is another negative effect, that politicians don't have the cover. And I think some of them want to stand up and say, we don't agree with this. This is out of control. This is overreach. But unfortunately, we're not there. No. Yeah, I think this is also, well, vaping is kind of a, one of those unique things where it basically started out legal. I mean, there's been scary times throughout the years obviously 2009 it's there's been some times where it's been in a gray area for sure but uh because it started out legal it it's kind of had that target on its back more than like some of these more progressive journalists would go after an illicit drug and so i don't think that they feel like this is part of the drug where but they they don't understand you know the but what i what i've said to some politicians and journalists that i've talked to is that uh you know, once a drug is legalized, there's going to be people making money off of it, you know, just like with cannabis and 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 whatnot. And so they think th these these reporters think they're going after big, bad tobacco companies and they're and they're punching up. That's what they think, you know, like they're punching up. They're going after these horrible corporations that are that are, you know, just killing their kids or whatever. But uh, they don't see that. I don't think that they realize that they're getting sucked sucked into like the drug war panic that that they usually are preaching against. And what they're doing, and what they don't understand that they're doing, is they're making an impact on people's lives right now. Not just the smoker that didn't quit, but I've had people that come to me and say that you know they came back after the whole of Valley thing because, and their families would actually leave packs of cigarettes out for them to to swap back. So yeah, I mean it's wild. It's there's you know I forget what the most recent polling is, but I mean it's over 50% of Americans think vaping is just as bad or worse than smoking. It's the or worse. It's and it's pretty insane. They're pushing their family members to start smoking again and it will you know, and and we know what the benefits of smoking are, right? We we know how that ends. Um, there's no there's no you know harm reduction in lighting up a cigarette, and and that's what the the media right now is culpable of, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Right, they are responsible for all of that misinformation, that propaganda, that makes people think that vaping is just as dangerous as smoking and that nicotine causes cancer. I mean, it's just stunning. 
and and there's all these parallel i mean it's i just find it really interesting because cannabis is being legalized in state after state psychedelic drugs now come into the mainstream and look at how the media now covers them it wasn't always that way there's a moment when the coverage shifts the stories start to change the language falls away new language new words are are deployed uh, by by the media and we're seeing that with cannabis we're seeing that with psychedelics I, I just think it's real the the parallels are really uh, important right there they talk about cannabis and psychedelics in in a way that is well they say they're they help with all kinds of health problems, uh, the studies that are being done, they're, quote, good drugs, right? They're good drugs. They're medicinal, they have medicinal properties. And they didn't always talk about them that way. It wasn't that long ago that they were demonizing these drugs. And I think nicotine, at some point, I don't know when, there's going to be a turn because the evidence at a certain point, you can no longer ignore the evidence that nicotine has beneficial properties and people on this call know what they are from antidepressant, anti-anxiety, you know, increases attention used in a whole number of studies for different disease. At some point it's going to turn and we can look at cannabis as an example to see how um, it it can turn. It's not going to be exactly the same because nicotine is a legal drug and it has a, a, a different history in a lot of ways. But I think there are some parallels that we can look to. Yeah, I think there's parallels, but I'm also not 100% certain that cannabis is completely out of the woods for good. Because if, you know, if we see federal legalization and you do see maybe some consolidation of the industry, although I know the industry does not want that, but if there is federal legalization, I think consolidation is just going to happen naturally over time. But down the road, we might see, you know, more fear mongering about, cannabis just you know going after these big horrible corporations that are making these you know tasty edibles that that kids like or you know the kind of going that route you know going after the big guy journalism journalists seem to really like to go after the big guy and a lot of times it's totally warranted but uh you know it's also uh uh they're misguided on some other some other well, Matt, that kind of leads into the next segment as well because um you know, we saw the message under Trump and Trump's FDA administrator, and we saw that message change and be a little more positive towards vaping, like you said. And then now we have a new FDA administrator and and we have a new administration. So um, what are your thoughts on that? The new commissioner. Yeah, so the article that... Um, that I chose for, for this show was uh, from reason magazine. And it, it was written by Michelle Mitten and it, and it's, a, and the titles, can the FDA's new commissioner save the agency from itself? And now while she talks about the new commissioner somewhat, it, you know, the bigger deep dive is really just on like the systemic <clears throat> issues that happen inside the FDA. And let me preface this by saying like, I am not, one of those types that looks at this in a black and white way. I don't think the FDA is all bad or all good. I think it was started for noble reasons. You know, people were dying from food back a hundred years ago. And uh, there was a, there was good reasons to have the FDA originally. 
But unfortunately, there's there's so much political involvement in the agency that, you know, this 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 article really breaks down how the the pressure for outside pressures um, really end up uh, uh, taking away a lot of the science and then just pushing the agency into doing what's politically popular at the time. And uh, it brings out some examples of a guy that uh, wrote a book. Where's the name of his book? I just saw it. One sec here. Scrolling through fast. Anyway, I, I can't find it. I'll find it in a sec, I'm sure. But he wrote a book about uh, his experience at the FDA. And, and it was more geared towards like food and other products. Like uh, one of the examples was hair dye. And basically, I mean, a lot of these decisions just are not science-based. A lot of times they do something just because the public is so upset about it. So they feel like they have to do something. Um, you know, brought out how there was an ingredient in hair dye where some people were freaking out thinking that it was going to cause uh, cancer. But then this guy did his own uh, um, investigation. The FDA wanted him to investigate. He found that like the ties to cancer with this particular product were like very, very slight and uh, not worthy of pulling the ingredient off the market. But because of the outrage by the public and the you know the fear involved, the uh, the FDA still wanted reasons. They wanted him to give them reasons for why they should ban it, even though all his reasons were that they shouldn't ban this particular uh, ingredient. So you know, it, there, a lot of these are anecdotal uh, anecdotal things in here, but it points out just kind of a systemic issue that that we've all obviously seen play out with vaping, where politics tends to run the agency sometimes these these uh um heads of the agency anytime they do something that congress doesn't like they get pulled into a, a hearing and get get made to look like a horrible person or that they're not doing anything so you know a lot of times they do something just for the sake of doing it and then they don't do something because uh um they don't, you know, because of politics as well. So it brings out like an example with seafood where there was other things they could have done uh, for seafood that would have been much more effective in lowering the amount of people that get sick. You know, there's various sick bacteria and stuff like that you can get from seafood. But because it would have hurt the bigger companies, they went with a different route and uh, didn't do, you know, they and what they ended up doing didn't uh, really change anything at all. So it, it's the problem here is, is how do you fix this? Because, you know, in some ways it's good that FDA has to answer to Congress. We don't want them to be some rogue organization that just does whatever the hell they want and not have any oversight, but then they do have to answer to Congress and uh, on other things. And uh, a lot of times they end up getting pushed into unscientific, uh, 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 actions that uh, that really do nothing for public health yeah cal calif isn't going to change anything let's get real he's yeah, not going to make any significant he he is an insider he was there during the obama years it, it's amazing i think biden just nominated him out of nostalgia because you know he was obama's vice president i mean this this guy is not going to change anything these are deep systemic problems it's a yeah. hot mess and it's underfunded it's understaffed i mean the mission is correct but there just needs to be fu a fundamental change in the way 
we regulate food and drugs. Maybe they need to be separate. There just needs to be a, a bunch of people who concentrate on food and then a group of people that focus on drugs, right? It's just, it is so corrupt. I mean, what that book, uh, I think, was talking about, this uh, former employee, is just how deep the corruption is. So can, can you reform that? I, I don't think so. I would like to see something, I would like to see an agency built from the ground up, built in the principles of harm reduction, I've said this before, around drugs. How do we reduce the harms of drugs? And on that basis, that's, that's how we start. I would also like to see the big money get out of the FDA. You know, the fact that the pharmaceutical industry uh, gives so much money and then they end up, the, the commissioners end up working for big pharma. That's a massive conflict of interest. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it is a, it, it, the need for it is great. I agree with Matt when you say that. It's like, we need some kind of regulation because there's all kinds of uh, people out there who want to sell you stuff that isn't what it is and it's dangerous. And so we need something. But w- w- what we have right now, it just makes everybody furious. And, and I, I, I understand that. I, I want something, but I want it to be built anew. We need to think creatively. We live in a different world now, right, of drugs, it's a lot more complicated than it than it used to be. And Caliph isn't up to that. He's an, like I said, he's an insider. He has no reason to shake anything up. I don't think he's going to do any favors to the to the vaping industry. He's going to toe the line again. He's another one who is affected by the drug panic around nicotine. Right. Does he want the moms from Pave calling him or. Mr. Myers, right? Our side is not strong enough to hit on them to say, hold on a minute. This regulation doesn't work for us. So he's going to go with Durbin and Krishnamurthy, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think, I, yeah, Caliph status quo, I, I wouldn't say that I think he's going to be worse than, you know, Woodcock, who's been in the interim position you know for the last year it'll be just be the same probably i don't see any changes i don't see it you know it's going to be the same status quo stuff and uh, well, yeah like the, the, the problem really st- it's at the top you know you have a lot of of good i'm sure that there's some scientists and researchers at the fda that are absolutely disagree with how the fda is handled hey guys handled, handled vaping products Hey guys, I hate to break in, but I think we're about on our last minute and I don't want to go without saying goodbye and let Matt, how do we keep up with you? Um, you can follow me on, on Twitter, Matt from SMM and, uh, or YouTube, Matt from SMM. Awesome. And Helen, how can we keep up with your work? Cause you're amazing. I'm at, I'm on Twitter at Aftariac and I write for filter. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we want to thank you both for participating again. Um, We love it when you're here. And um, we will welcome everyone back next Monday at our usual time at 3 p.m. Eastern. Thank you guys so much for being here. I enjoyed it tremendously. Thanks for having me. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks so much. It was wonderful talking to both of you. Thank you. (laughs) 